Welcome to the Weekend Outdoorsman Podcast, where our mission is to keep traditions alive, fueled by a passion for the outdoors. Whether you're a bow hunter, fisherman, or just love the outdoors, then this is the podcast for you. Our aim is to help inspire you to keep any traditions you may have alive as well as create new ones. Any moment can be a learning experience, so we hope that you'll learn as much as we will through the guests we bring on here. Hopefully, we can bring you the right information that can help you seal the deal on that big bull, buck, or whatever game you're chasing. So sit back in traffic, the office, or on the way to a hunt and enjoy. What's up, everybody? This is episode number four, and if you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back. And if you're new to the podcast, thanks for choosing us to listen to on the way to the office or while you're in the office or when you're on the way to a hunt, because there are so many other podcasts out there today that y'all could be listening to. And, you know, we just want to thank you for choosing us. We greatly appreciate your support and thanks for tuning in. Today, we're going to be changing gears on y'all a little bit. We've been talking elk now for a while, so we're switching gears and we're going to talk deer hunting. And part of the reason why we're doing that is we're down here in Texas. This upcoming weekend is opening archery season. It's uh, a wonderful time of year. We finally got some cool weather down here. And so people are jacked up, fired up, and we figured it was only right to, to talk deer. And so we've got a really big name coming on here today. If you've ever seen Yamaha Whitetail Diaries on TV, Americana Outdoors, or even Cabela's Fisherman's Handbook, uh, this man is big in the industry. He's worked with a lot of big companies, and he has traveled all over the world to go on some really awesome hunts and really cool adventures, and that is Wade Middleton. Um, Wade is actually a, an, an old boss of mine. Uh, he actually offered me my first job straight out of college and he gave me my first real taste of the outdoor industry. And, uh, you know, I got to go to shot show. I got to go to ICAST and I got to travel all over the Southeastern United States. And, uh, we're going to save that for another podcast for you guys to, to kind of introduce to y'all how to get in the outdoor industry. But today we're focusing on deer. You know, Wade just got back from Kentucky where he he checked an item off the bucket list. You know, Wade has been a huge, huge bow hunter. And one of the things he's been wanting to do is get a giant buck that's still in velvet. And he was able to do that this past, this most recent fall. Um, he shot a bruiser of a buck in velvet. And so we're going to talk that hunt with Wade. We're going to talk tips and tactics. We're going to talk stand placement. And we may even go down a couple rabbit holes with Wade. Who knows? Um, Wade and I have been friends for quite some time now. And uh, I always go to him for advice when it comes to the industry. So who knows where this one will go. But if you're a deer hunter, you love bow hunting, then this is going to be the podcast for you. So we hope you guys enjoy. Well, man, Wade, I want to thank you just uh, for taking the time this morning. I know you're busy, especially this time of year. So um, just really wanted to thank you for hopping on the podcast with me this morning. Absolutely. You know, it's a good way to start out Monday. I had to work anyway at the house and the office and uh, talking hunting and fishing is a lot more fun. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's always fun talking hunting and fishing. So I always got to... Um, 
I've always got something at the beginning of the podcast I like to start out with that we call thin ice. It's just kind of like a quick, okay. quick icebreaker. I know you and I already know each other, so um, just kind of for the listeners, but it's just kind of a quick rapid fire. We've got five questions for you. Think you're ready for it? I'm always ready. Fire away. All right. So real quick, hunting or fishing? Oof. It's, it's got to be seasonal, Will. I can't pick one. I've never been able to pick one. <laughs> I can't pick one. <laughs> Damn, it's seasonal. Because it's deer season, and then, of course, once the spring rolls around, it's turkey and bass fishing. That's right. I'm never going to pick this one. I don't, I don't want to be pigeonholed. <laughs> <laughs> Next one, then, pertains to hunting. Bow or rifle? I mean, it's hard to beat the thrill of bow hunting. I mean, as everybody knows, I like to hunt with everything, but it really is that emotion in the, the sweaty palms of a bow hunt is is always going to be hard to beat, which is why I got into handgun hunting, I think. So, yeah, I'm going to go bow. Okay. that's I'd, I'd probably have to answer right there with you the same thing. Yeah. Um, next one. What is something super important that you re that you've realized you've left at the truck as soon as you sat down in the blind <laughs> a release <laughs> my, my remote release <laughs> with you one time when that happened actually wasn't i <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've got now i carry two i've got, always got one in my backpack that i don't ever take out so yeah no it's gonna be the release I think that's right. I was. I think that was the first time I'd started filming you or something. <laughs> and it's uh, you know, you get to shooting around the camp and or wherever you're shooting at, and you take it off and you lay it down. Uh, and I try to always put it on my bow. I try to put it on my uh, you know stabilizers where I like to keep it. But I don't know. As I've gotten older, it's like losing my keys. You know, I lose my keys every day. So yeah, it's gonna be the bow release. I'm right there with you. I know when we went elk hunting last year, I've got one of those thumb releases and you don't have it wrapped around your wrist. And I put it in my pocket, my zipper pocket. And I think every two minutes I was sitting there feeling it like, is it there? <laughs> is it there? <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> All right. Next one for you. Biggest bass. Ooh, biggest bass is still a 12, five. Where'd you catch that? Falcon or? Got it down in Mexico. Got it down in Mexico. Uh, Lake uh, Dominguez is how they pronounce it, and uh, which is below Huitez. And we had a little fishing camp up at Huitez. And Dominguez is, you know, was a lake. They said, look, you only get three bites a day, but you might catch one over 10. We caught a nine and one about five, and then I caught that one. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was still one of the coup. Caught it in two foot of water. Caught it in two foot of water with the crew. Two foot of water, flipped up by a bush, set the hook, and it was like the whole world it just exploded. <laughs> <laughs> been there. I've been there. Just surprises the heck out of you. Yeah, you never know. No. So the last question for you. This one might be a little hard to answer, but best part of Texas to deer hunt, in your opinion? Yeah, there's no answer. I've been asked that many, many times. You know, with today's management and and efforts that people put into letting them age, you know, you can grow big deer anywhere. And and you know, and that's even a that's different part of the question. Are you looking for meat? Are you looking for antlers? Are you looking for you know? There's just so many different variables to that. Um, as you know, I'm real fond of the Del Rio area because there's a lot of deer out there. 
um, you know, if somebody makes a mistake or you want to let a kid shoot a two-year-old eight point for his first deer, there's going to be 20 more of them typically coming out of the bushes behind it. Uh, don't kill the biggest ones out there, but you can, you know, you can take a lot of deer and then you can argue the South Texas brush and, oh, yeah. you know, the hill country now with all the mega ranches of people building high fences. So, I mean, it, the whole state's pretty good. <laughs> the whole, it, this is true. It's bigger in Texas, right? Yes, it is. I mean, there's just too many options here. And, and, and like I said, it, Texas has created its own world for deer hunting. And because of that, uh, you, they grow big deer everywhere. Mm -hmm. It really has created its own little world. Just when you look at the bigger scope of things, like I know I, I've seen you go to Kentucky and just other places to deer hunt. It's seeing how different those operations are, just how different states are compared. Yep. To us, it's kind of, it's a wide spectrum. It is, you know, Kansas last year, um, you know, we were hunting alongside a, a national, a national refuge, a waterfowl refuge actually. And the deer were coming into soybeans to feed. And then I go to Kentucky a lot. I really enjoy Kentucky, Wyoming. I've been, you know, I've hunted so many different States, but Texas is, is its own industry, its own uniqueness out of it. And as, as most people know, I'm going to say about the, end of October, I don't, I generally don't leave Texas for about 60 days and we just deer hunt in and around our areas. And, and there's a reason why so many people want to come here. You see so much game when you're here. A ton. Yep. A ton. I want to see things. I don't want to sit in a tree for nine days and only see one deer. That's not fun to me. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I've always, I think, you know, I'm, I'm on, I'm on the same fence as you, but on the same side of the fence as you with that, you know, of course, I think one day down the road, I'd like to go experience that, you know, like up in yep. Stanton, Ohio or Illinois, give that a shot one day, but I think that's all I'd want to do it just for a few days. And that's that. Yeah. It, it's something that if you love to hunt and I know you do, mm -hmm. uh, you got to go do in Kentucky, you know, what, you know, in Kansas and Wyoming and all the places I try to do three or four big whitetail hunts a year. And I, but I really strategically think them out on where I want to go kind of based on a bucket list off of all of them. And, you know, and I've hunted Ohio and I've hunted Wisconsin, uh, Michigan as well. And you go up there to be cold. Honestly, you go up there to experience a different type of hunting, you know, big cold type uh, conditions and the snow and the backdrop and the dreams of a 300 pound whitetail coming crashing out of the brush. I mean, it's more about that experience and just to experience that than it is necessarily taking yeah exactly yeah it gives that i know growing up i had watched a lot you know watched you as well but then other guys just sitting in those tree stands so i always kind of had that dream to do that one day yeah it's pretty up there and you know you drive around in those that farmland and it's all those little rolling hills and, and you know when i'm driving around i'm i'm the world's worst about daydreaming i'm looking man that'd be a great place to set up a stand or go duck hunt or i wonder how many fish are in that pond and 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 so when you get in that country and you get it off in those rural areas you quickly can see why those deer get so fat up there i mean they've got groceries everywhere it's not like our food plots down here that might die they've got stands of corn everywhere yeah, they got food, soy. I mean, you name it, they got it everywhere. They do. They do. Well, Wade, I know um, some of our listeners, they may, may not know who you are. Um, so I was kind of hoping if maybe you give a quick chance to just kind of give, uh, give some of the listeners a, a 30,000 foot view, of just kind of who you're from and kind of how you got started in the outdoor industry. Absolutely. You know, 
of course, I was a little kid, 10 years old, that wrote letters to guys like Jimmy Houston. You know, that was my idol. You know, he was from Oklahoma, and I just always looked up to him all the time and thought, man, that'd be so cool uh, to do that. And, and that's all we did as kids. You know, I skipped every imaginable day that I could to go hunting and fishing as a kid. And when I went to college, I was going to be a game warden. And, but that didn't work out real good because you got to go to class. <laughs> and, and, you know, I kept skipping school and going fishing. So um, that was just, just my passion. And, and I took a kind of a left turn, joined the military, but that led me to San Antonio eventually. And I replied to a little short help wanted ad, wanted part-time hunting and fishing guides. And it was at the old triple seven ranch. Oh, and I uh, went to work out there and I met all these TV guys and it just kind of expanded, uh, you know, my horizons and, and backdrops and understanding in it and uh, was fortunate enough to start working actually with Alan Warren back when Alan was in the outdoor industry. And then I went to work for Carico. Uh, gosh, you know, 25 years ago. I don't even know how many years ago. It seems seems 25. I had no gray hair back then, Will. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and as things went on, everything just expanded. And, and now, you know, we've got several TV programs, Whitetail Diaries, Fisherman's Handbook, Fishing, mm-hmm. Fishing and Hunting Texas, which is really where I got my start. Uh, deer gear. We do the college bass fishing tournament. We help produce a lot of other things. But it's still to this day, despite with all of those titles and all things we get to do, I still just just love to go hunting and fishing. And like I said at the beginning, it's seasonal. I want to shoot the does on the first of September. I want to climb tree stands in October. I want to be in ground blinds in December. I want to go rattling on the rut. But as soon as it warms up, I want to go shallow and catch spawning bass. I want to chase the white bass, catch some crappie, catch redfish. So I mean, I just love it all in the outdoors. I'm I'm right there with you. I am right there with you. I know as soon as pretty much as soon as January hits, I'm I'm ready to go hit up lakes. I'm I'm ready to go chase them. Yep. And then when summertime rolls around, you know, of course, shooting the bow in the afternoons or in the mornings, getting yep. practice in. But I want to go get out on the lake. That's that's my yeah. thing. So, do y'all have any uh, any plans for any other TV shows coming up, or just kind of sticking with what y'all what y'all have right now? Any any new ones? We actually. We actually do have some new things we're kind of looking at and working on. You know, the world has changed so much and, and it's not even really about TV shows anymore. It's, you know, it's the media groups, it's the podcasts, like what you're doing and, and the social media stuff and the digital and putting on streaming and, and we've launched outdoor action, this huge, you know, all kinds of Roku's. I don't even know all the names and terminologies that you can click on anymore to watch. And then, you know, and then of course our traditional TV, um, we're still working heavily with the pursuit network and kind of in the in the planning processes of a couple of big new tournament uh, events as well as some behind the scenes stuff but it, you know it's it's got to evolve it's got to happen organically and and so i think you'll see here towards the end of about the time it's time for us to go fishing again we'll, we'll probably have some new things rolling out should be fun sweet so can you kind of tell us where all have you gotten to hunt? I know, I think it was this past year and the year before I saw you in places like New Zealand chasing after red stag and then Africa. Um, where all have you been and what's probably been your most favorite trip so far? You know, the last couple of years has really been uh, some pretty big bucket list uh, trips and it, it just kind of all finally came together where I could travel. We went to New Zealand, Angel and I and Daniel uh, went with us from Thompson Center at the time and a couple of outdoor riders and, and, and that was just a magnificent trip over there. It, it's, uh, 
you know, you don't, I don't like to use a trip of a lifetime because I think that's always still in your, you know, in front of you because every trip is so exciting, but that really was a special trip because not only did we hunt and climb lots of mountains and do different things, we got to, we really got to kind of experience the New Zealand culture. There was a lot going on while we were there. So that was fun. Um, and then we loaded up with several friends, Kevin and Shelly and Steve Nestle and his wife and, uh, my father-in-law and angel, we got to go to, uh, go to Africa. And I had put that trip off for far too long. I, I really, I think because Texas is so full of exotics, as you and I know, I had kind of had some really wrongly preconceived notions on how the hunting would be over there for some of these species. And uh, we got to where we were hunting at is 80 square miles of, of, of property, which is, that's pretty big. <laughs> and uh, man, it was just so awesome. You know, it, we, we hunted from sunup to sundown, Will. I mean, it, you know, we would eat boiled eggs for lunch who even wanted to go in for lunch while that was going on that's awesome that's i, I saw when y'all i think i saw y'all's instagram stories and facebook posts and stuff when y'all started heading over there i'm like man that yeah that looks like fun you know i've never i've always kind of had that in the back of my mind you know just looking at it like how could i do that one day and then seeing y'all do that it's like okay this is possible i could do that one day yeah it is, it is. You know, and, and I know you're a big bow hunter. You love to bow hunt. I, I want to go back and spend a week. You know, my problem when I went, I tried to do everything in about seven days. And that was a mistake. I would tell anybody now to, to go and pick a couple things that you want to really experience hunting wise, but be prepared for a target of opportunity hmm. uh, type deal. I mean, I took my handgun, I took a crossbow, I took a compound and I took a rifle. <laughs> Do you lose any at the airport? No, everything made it through, but let me tell you, getting through the airport was a nightmare. <laughs> Bet. Uh, what all, what all did, were you able to harvest while you were over there? I mean, I, I couldn't even begin to try and say some of the names of things that you harvested. What all? <laughs> So, uh, Steve Nestle and I, we basically, you know, as you hunt over there, you kind of hunt in pairs. You can hunt by yourself, but to me, it was going to be more fun, you know, hunting, hunting together and everything. We took, uh, I took a, a kudu of a lifetime, um, while we were there, we took wildebeest, um, warthogs, impalas. Uh, I tried really hard to get it in Yala and, and a Gims buck and a zebra. We spent like on foot for hours at a time and Kevin's a trooper, but after about five hours of carrying that camera, we finally had to sit down for a while because we could never catch up with them to get a shot. I can't imagine, man. That's it. Did y'all ever run into like any lions or hyenas or anything crazy like that? We saw hyenas, no lions. Uh, saw, saw a lot of rhinos while we were there. The, the area we were at had a, whole, a pretty large rhino population and, and they actually had the anti-poaching team patrolling them and watching them and uh, with airplanes and guys walking around in the brush, you know, fully prepared to, you know, defend it. The anti-poaching efforts are huge over there. Really learned a lot about that. And unfortunately we found a dead uh, rhino while we were over there and it was really interesting to watch the response. I mean, it would be like you and I calling 911 and I mean, all these vehicles and a helicopter comes in and they, quartered off an area because they wanted to know, was it poached, natural causes, what happened? And it really kind of was exciting to me to see how, how they try to really, you know, something people don't think about is how hard they are working over there and how important our dollars are for their conservation. Man, 
That's yeah. Cause I, I, I've always seen things like you said, like with poaching, cause they're always, I don't know if tusk or horn is the technical term for what they have coming off the front of their nose. I don't, I've always seen that. I guess poachers going after that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of, you know, you see the poverty in some of those areas, there's lots of snares and there, you know, there is some trapping going on obviously for, um, you know, for me, for some of those, some of those villages, but it's, it is, you know, it's, it's, you know, those people that are, have those big ranches over there, they're trying to, you know, make a living and do the same thing. So it's a full, full, pretty impressive effort to protect these species. And, you know, just like we do try to hunt the mature ones. Wow. Man, that's, that's pretty cool that you got to do that though. That was pretty cool. So I guess we can kind of, well, you know, part of what I wanted to bring you on for today was to kind of talk more Texas hunting, Texas deer hunting in general and archery season. And yep. so I wanted to find out from you, um, you know, I got to spend opening morning with y'all before. What does, yep. what does opening morning of season mean to you in Texas? What, what does that mean to Wade? <laughs> You know, I look forward to it all year long. I mean, deer hunting is, it truly is a year round passion for, for our team mm -hmm. uh, from the cameras, the food plots, to setting up stands, trying to get that perfect angle for people to see it. But for me personally, it's, I don't know, there's just that seasonal change, that ability to get out and watch that sunrise come up and, and, you know, I get, I get goosebumps from, I don't, I wake up well before the alarm goes off on opening day, you know, and the getting dressed and, and heading out and you're getting in your little side by sides, you're, you know, you're going to the stand and climbing up. And I mean, and it, I, I like to now not even have a target deer in mind, you know, it's just, I want to get in the stand wherever it may be. And we've kind of got a little tradition where we've been hunting with the windlets now for some time on opening weekend and we get there and, you know, kind of, we normally, you know, Clark kind of messed it up this year because he's got to go fishing this week. You know, he's leading something called the Bassmaster Angler of the Year. Not real important, but I, I thought him deer hunting, but he disagreed. <laughs> but no, it, it's just, to put it into one word, it's just exciting for me for opening day. Yeah. I, I'm, it's like Christmas morning, I think, for about – Yes, like, I hear that a lot. I love going into the small towns and just seeing seeing them come to life, you know, with the windows painted, welcome hunters. And yep. I love going into town on lunch, lunchtime the first day, and you just pull up and you'll see all the trucks and everything at the tax. Yes meat processors showing off their big bucks and i love seeing that i love it yeah that drive up through the you know this i was just out at the deer lease last week for a couple of days and was coming back on friday and everybody had their side by sides and their deer blinds and their deer corn and they're they're going west on highway 90 i just i love that parade you know, and it's so cool to watch that parade break down. And like you said, you go, when you go up through the hill country, you know, and you get up where you grew up and in around that Fredericksburg area and stuff like that, it is, it, the towns come to life for opening weekend. Of I love it. You know, like where, um, my wife, we hunt out on her family's property out towards, it's actually kind of close to y'all. Uh, it's up by San Saba in Cherokee. Yep. And, um, we get to hunt there and just watching that one little area just come to life during deer season, especially land yeah. and Sabbath, just getting to see all that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, especially during dove season. They do. 
Yeah. No, they, they do up there. And, you know, I like going into San Saba. There's a couple places I like to go get breakfast tacos at in San Saba because, like I said, we don't – we're not hunting too far from, from San Saba. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we go in there and play golf, and we'll go in at the middle of the day because, you know, you don't hunt all day this time of the year, and we'll go get breakfast tacos there and, and stop at the little gas station and get the little cheap pizzas. Yep. You know, and that's part of the experience. That's part of the experience. It, it is. And that's, yeah, it just, it's, it makes it what it is. So yes, I guess kind of, we'll kind of transition over to more of how you hunt and things like that. So when it comes to hunting in Texas, the possibilities for the types of stands are endless. You know, you got your tree stands, your tripods, your ground blinds. I mean, I've seen some crazy contraptions, but for you, when you're bow hunting, do you prefer pop-up blinds or are you more of the tripod tree stand? What's, what's your go-to? I love to be elevated. You know, if I can be elevated, that's my preference because I get that experience of seeing everything when you're elevated. Um, you know, the higher up you get, whether you're in a tripod or you're in a ladder stand or a lock on, or, you know, an old, set of two by fours that have been, you know, thrown up in a tree somewhere. Um, that's my preferred way, but you got to hunt where the deer are and you got to hunt what the deer are going to give you at the end of the day. So, I mean, I use all of them. Um, you know, we're going to have pop-ups set up. We're going to have tripods. We're going to have ladder stands. I mean, just whatever works for that area is how you have to do it. Definitely. You know, like I saw that last year, um, there were some spots that I set up on that they, they didn't like you being on the ground with them. Other spots, yeah. they didn't care at all. But some of them I had to yeah. get up in a stand just to get, yeah. Out, yeah. get out of their way. And even in a couple. And until you hunt it, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. I think there was, there was one spot I was sitting on a transition area from bedding to food plot to another feed area. And I thought I had a big old oak tree that I'd put a nice muddy, uh, tree stand up in they did not like it. And as soon as I put a pop-up blind in, it just seemed like they swarmed in there. I, I don't know if, cause my yeah. I, scent was swirling around in there or, or what was going on. Yeah. And you know, and I like those failures, they tell you that you don't know everything usually is what it is. <laughs> I, I, I was, I'm just kind of like, all right, well, let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> Whatever we got to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're, you're talking, go where the deer are. You know, I got, I work when I got to work for you, I kind of got to see how your mind worked and your thought process on putting, putting stands in certain spots. And so when you were, when you're looking at new spots to potentially put a new blind in or whatever it may be, what are, what are things you look for? You know, do you look for close proximity to bedding areas? Are you looking for water? Are you looking for food? What's, what are you looking at first before you go and just dump everything in there? I mean, I want to be able to create the first thing in my mind is where's the sanctuary going to be? Where are they going to come from? Um, you know, because, you know, we can create the food source, you know, we can build a food plot, we can put a protein feeder out, we can put a timer feeder out blocks, you know, whatever it may be, but where, where is that bedding area? I mean, you can remember the, the old killing tree area. We had that long stretch of stuff down there and it's like, don't drive that way. I'm not throwing you and Cody under the bus. 
but that was our bedding area that you know that was that stretch during that area it's like stay out of that area because if we don't bother them and we've got the food and the water out of here i mean what do you do you walk to your your refrigerator mm-hmm. to go find a snack and you follow the same path all the time and i think a deer is a very similar creature if, if you can create the refrigerator the buffet whatever it may be and it, you know it can be an acorn tree you know acorns are going to be falling across texas right now like a hailstorm just came through and if you know which trees create the best hail the acorns this time of the year you, yep. you set your stand up around that you know so i want a bedding area i want a sanctuary i, I just think that's so key especially in small places you know that well a lot of us hunt you know whether it's 100 acres well let's put 50 acres of that aside well we're not going in unless we're tracking a deer right. and then we're going to track him right. and we'll get out of there and and that's always been my strategy is you know and is to set places up as, as good as you can like that. Now, that being said, sometimes you got to go in the bedding area. You got to go into the sanctuary if you're down to your last day and, you know, you got to bust it up. And, and so there is no 100% rule. It's just that's what I like to do. But sometimes I got to break my own rules. Right. Just don't drive there just don't drive in there don't drive that road hey, hey there's rocks in there now where y'all got stuck it's a good road don't drive the other road because that's where the truck is still sitting that i got stuck about 10 days ago so where you guys got stuck is good now where we used to get stuck is it's real but it's impassable because there's a truck sitting there <laughs> uh, to, to, to my defense i will remember I think we had the truck loaded down with feed that day, I think. Pretty full. It was. It was pretty full. <laughs> Working for you for long. And I remember you telling us <laughs> a different way. You might get stuck in that spot where you are, where you got the truck stuck now. And we got there and we looked at it and we're like, wait a minute. Did we go that way? No, I think he said that way. <laughs> we're sunk to the axle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the old tractor got it out pretty quick <laughs> uh, man that i don't think i'd ever gotten a truck as stuck as i had <laughs> <laughs> that was insane yeah good story good story now you wouldn't have the story if it wouldn't happen <laughs> that's true uh you know when when it comes to when you finally set that stand up you know that that stand that you've been doing research on the area you're looking at google earth you know some guys i think a lot of guys utilize onyx now um yeah those big elk hunters on public land what or how long do you wait till you go and sit in that stand are you gonna wait till the wind is absolutely right are you gonna wait middle of the season you know what what's going through your mind well i mean in a perfect world you wait until everything's right Mm-hmm. But we don't all live in a perfect world anymore to where the timing is going to go there. Uh, the deer I just shot in Kentucky, we literally, um, you know, went in and hung the camera stand at, at three o'clock and I shot that deer at seven o'clock that night. Wow. So, you know, there, if the conditions are right and things are good, you know, the deer's bedding a good distance away, you can, you can go right in there. That's where knowing, is it a farm that the farmer's driving the tractor all the time? Are they driving side by sides? If you can mimic what's happening around there during those times of day, I think you can continue to do those things. Uh, While we hung that stand, the farmer was actually plowing out on the other end. He was moving hay bales too. So we slid in, hung that stand 
climbed up there, felt good. The deer, they felt like from scouting it was, you know, four or 500 yards away in a bedding area. He, he was used to the sound. It didn't bother him. You do that someplace where there is nothing there and you go walking in that, that strip that we've got there on that place there we're talking about, they're going to blow out of there. And they're not coming back that evening a lot of times. So you just got to kind of know the ground mm-hmm. and make a decision and, and go with it. Gotcha. So that deer that you shot in Kentucky, that's kind of, I know you love, I think that's been a big bucket list item for you is shooting a big velvet. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that story for you? I mean, congrats on getting that big guy, by the way. Thanks. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I've always wanted to, to hunt a place in the first of the season to hunt big ones in velvet. I just think a whitetail in velvet is one of the most majestic animals there is. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a small window in a lot of these states that you ever even have a chance. So about four years ago, I started going to Kentucky. Uh, the first year over there, man, I mean, I hadn't been in the stand like 30 minutes and this giant 140 class inch eight point comes out 17 yards i'm ready to shoot him but as you know in the camera tv world the cameraman's got to see him kevin can't see the deer i mean there's one tree blocking kevin i'm like man i'm didn't go down but you know that was a great adventure and then we hunted two or three more days didn't see anything um the next year i fell in love with a big 10 point and i never saw him so i went home empty-handed um and then the the third year i went there i made made a bad shot i shot low grazed the belly of, of a really good deer and it just continued to stoke the fire and so this year you know, I, I knew we didn't have it about three or four day window because the season started later this year that they would be in velvet. And, uh, man, first two days, we just, we didn't see anything. And then, uh, was working with the outfitter over there, George Cummings from Salt River. And man, he's like, we got to move you. He said that this, there's a field of soybeans and these deer are piling in there. And, um, we moved over there, climbed up the ladder. So wind couldn't have been better. It was shady. And they said, look, you'd be looking towards those trees the last about 30 minutes. He said, that's the bedding area. And they're all going to work down this creek. They're all going to come across there. And, I mean, it was like 30 minutes of daylight left. It's coming across that, that hill was one of the most majestic sights I've seen. And I looked back on my Garmin watch at the heart rate, and you can see it start going up, which is cool at this point. I mean, you know, because I'm like, man, I've done this a long time. It took 30 minutes to get a shot on that deer. He came in, kind of worked around the feed source. My hands are sweating. My knees are shaky. I can't move. And he finally turned broadside. We didn't have it about three minutes of camera light left. And I I was shooting a lighted knock. I mean, I I saw it. I heard the sound. And the arrow stayed in him as he ran over the hill. And that's a shook. I mean, I was like the 10-year-old kid that first started trying to learn how to deer hunt again. And, and, I mean, I can get goosebumps right here talking about it. I mean, it was – and it was still a big deer in velvet. I mean, it, you know, it was just a great experience. Yeah, that I, I think I saw on Instagram or somewhere y'all had started posting stuff because I know you'd been going after one for a while. And yeah. That was a huge deer. Have you scored him yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they scored him over there, and he was right at 160. So he's a couple inches shy there, and and. uh but I mean, he's a perfect ten. It we, you know, the it, it wouldn't have mattered to me if he was 130 the way that moment went down because I mean, I got to watch him come across those soybeans from about 200 yards, and uh, a couple other little bucks and does were milling around in the area, and just I mean, I had 18 days of hunting, you know, tied up in trips to Kentucky because you only hunt the evenings over there. You don't hunt in the morning mm-hmm. because those deer are bedded so close, and. Um, 
you know, and I had had every sense of emotion going into it and, and I was good. I mean, I, you know, if I don't kill one, I don't kill one, but it was total meltdown after I didn't get that deer. <laughs> so, man, well, congrats on that big buck this year. Thanks, sir. Awesome. Thank you. So to kind of go back to more cover back on the how to's of hunting and things, do you, do you let wind play a big factor? I know you kind of say sometimes you can't control it, but you just, sometimes you have to go into that stand. Other times you try to stay out of it the best you can. And if you're going in, are you spraying down and scent spray? Um, I think you're pretty, you got me hooked on the conquest scent, uh, scent sticks. Yeah. Scent sticks. And yep. no, you're big yep. for that. Do you spray down or what do you do? Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I've, I keep all my stuff, you know, of course, Angel, as you know, she's going to cook all day and burn every candle in the world at a hunting camp. So I've gave up fighting that fight. So all my clothes stay outside and I'm, I, I wash them religiously with, you know, non-scented stuff and, and I keep them in bags and they stay in the tub and the whole nine yards. And I do use the Evercom, huge believer in the Evercom and I've got the sticks that I'll put out as well. Um, and you can cheat the wind a little bit, but it, it really depends on the location. You know, the more you travel and hunt in different places, you can kind of, you, you, you evolve as a hunter. Mm -hmm. So in Texas, so many places, you the cattle rancher, you know, the border patrol guys are driving around where I'm at. We've got pipeline construction going on. There's always something in a lot of those areas. So sound scent and trucks driving by aren't is, is going to bother, bother them as much on say our deer lease that we've got right here. As you go to San Saba where there's nobody out there on that property at all, all year long. And then all of a sudden you go tracing through there with your brand new boots or your boots with diesel on the, on the bottom of them that you filled up, you know, and then you stopped and got a chili dog at Sonic or whatever. Those are new smells that nobody, those deer haven't smelled. You're done. You're busted. They're going to blow. And that's probably what happened to you in that tree stand. You know, that day there was something weird in there. You, you, you stepped in something you didn't even know about or, or whatever. And they, they didn't like it. They didn't. Yeah. I, I can tell you, cause I mean the wind that, that was the crazy thing about it because I had the wind in my favor and the direction yeah. coming from. So I don't know if maybe there was a swirl further up the trailer or up the trailer and they were catching something that, like yeah. I picked up something in the truck or I don't, I don't know what it was. Yep. Well, and I mean, and I've seen it as simple as, you know, we were at the, that very first encounter in Kentucky. We, we, you know, to keep the scent down and the noise down, they kind of just say, Hey, go down this trail, look for this tree. Here's your stand. And that's the smart way to do it when you're getting a lot of people in, there's less communication. So we're walking in. Well, we kind of jogged off the trail about 20 yards and crossed a little bit of coastal field. And um, I had my rubber boots on, but Kevin didn't. He had leather sole boots on. And several does came by, and the exact places that Kevin stopped and walked, they sniffed right there, turned and left. And it's also what caused that eight point on that hunt to put his nose down and turn and left. And that was the best, you know, from Kevin's standpoint, he'd never seen that. And he's like, well, I got to get a rubber boots. And that's why rubber boots are so popular in those situations, you know, because you're not going to leave a scent trail. And, and that's part of that evolution. So you've got to play scent, you've got to play win, and you've got to keep it in your favor. But there are times you can cheat it. I mean, no doubt about it. Those places, like I talked about before, that have a lot of traffic on there. And if you're a rifle hunter and you're hunting a couple 300 yards away across the big oak field, you come in the southeast corner and the wind's out of the southeast, there's little chance that deer 200 yards away in that oak patch is going to bust you. 
you know, he's not coming from that direction. Yeah, I've, I've definitely seen that, you know, just I think rifle hunting, you can get away with a lot more. But when it comes to archery, yes. sometimes, you yes, sometimes you can, but I'd say 95% of the time, it you're not going to get away with your scent. Yeah. And it was past year, I got to go elk hunting on public land in Colorado. We did over-the-counter tags DIY. And the thermals, the way like elk hunters don't even wear scent killer anything. That's the one thing I learned. And wind is such a huge thing. Like we carry those little puffer bottles around and we're checking, we're constantly checking to see our thermals going up the mountain. Are they coming down? Uh, Cause elk are super particular from what I've learned. Yeah. In every situation, that's what's so great about it. You go on these different adventures and you go to these different locations, like you're talking about, you want to go north sometime. When you go to those places, you just learn so much. You know, you can open your eyes to different things and, and scenarios. And it, it, it's good to be humbled, you know, with it because we'll never, ever learn it all. And there are no 100% absolutes because the, the smartest animal can make a mistake and make you look like a great hunter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, I think that's what keeps me going, going back to hunting too, is, uh, you know, some years you just have that crazy good success where it just seems like everything comes yep. up and then the next year you do the same thing. <laughs> Those want to play, they don't yeah. read the script and it just seems like you can't do anything right. And it just absolutely makes you a better hunter at the end of the day. And it makes you want to come back. Yep. And I, I, that's, yep, no, I agree. What kind of, if you can kind of tell us about what, what's your archery setup this year? I know y'all work with Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's a lot on things. Yep. And you're shooting the Blackout series. Shooting the Blackout series right now. Yes. You know, and it, it, it's very similar to a lot of the other package bows that they've had in the past with a few tweaks here and there uh, to it. And, you know, and that's the neat thing about it. Um, you know, you can go into those stores and get rigged out and get set up for a first timer or a guy that's hunted a lot out there and, and find something that's going to work for you. But the biggest thing, get it fit you know, get something that fits and practice, practice, practice. I mean, no. you know, we see it, you know, you saw it when we all would just go shoot out at the camp. I mean, the more we shoot, the better we're going to be. Yep. That's, you know, and I got to work in an archery shop for a while, uh, in kind of a smaller store. And that was yep. one of the things I saw, you know, I'd get guys, get them set up. We'd go out to the range, they're shooting good and they'd go home and they would just, they'd start doing something funky, start doing something weird. They weren't being consistent yep. and they'd come back like something's wrong with this bow. And it's like, well, let's get you out there and let's go see what's going on. And it's crazy. Just what all, you know, the little nuances that are involved with archery. It's yes. <laughs> those little anchor points and that, that consistency of doing the same thing so that you do it under pressure is, is all the key thing. And I think that's where it falls apart is if, if you're doing about five different things on the range and you're always trying to change your anchor points at the moment of truth, you're not even going to know where the arrow is going to go. I mean, there, there's because you've, you have no consistency. Right. Exactly. What, what's your typical protocol in your head? You know, you've been doing this for years. What's, what goes through your head when you're drawn back on an animal? You know, what's, what are your anchor points? What are you thinking? What are you going to? 
I try not to actually think about my anchor points. You know, I try to have shoot have shot enough that that's muscle memory. And I think that's a big thing is, is, you know, confidence that I'm going to hit those anchor points. I mean, you know, I've got, you know, I want to, you know, my sight picture has got to be the same and I can tell when my sight picture is not right. You know, when I'm looking through the peep and, and everything and the guard, I'm shooting that Garmin zero now. So there's a few different steps involved with it that kind of help me actually get more anchored. But, you know, I want that string touching the edge of my nose and when it's there, I'll have the perfect sight picture. Everything is, is, is going to be good. And then, then I relax my hand you know, up front, I want my hand, you know, open and everything there. But my, when I'm practicing, you know, once I move about a month and a half before the season, I quit shooting the block target a lot. And I go to a 3d target. I try to, I try to concentrate on going up that leg and finding that sweet spot. There's vital. So I try to get real repetitive in that. And that's, that's what it really, you know, for me, I try to do, I go through that process of, of, this is what I'm doing because shooting that square on the, on the block out there is great for knowing your group, but, but walking around in the backyard and shoot at 20, shoot one at 25, shoot one at 32 different angles and shooting that 3d target and, and going through the same motion every time. I think that's what eases me into that, that shots, you know, that, that deal there to where it just becomes muscle memory. Yeah. And I think going, kind of going off what you're saying about, switching over to that 3d target. I think that's pretty big because too many guys get um, hooked on that aim small, miss small, aiming at that little circle. And then it's like, as soon as they draw back on a real animal, it's almost kind of, I almost don't like using the term panic, but then they kind of get that panic. Like, okay, hold on. Where are their vitals? I don't have a dot on that. Animal. Where am I aiming? I agree. Where am I aiming? Where, where's my aim point? And I mean, I carry a target, a 3d target in my trailer when we're, we're hauling around, obviously, you know, we keep a bunch out the ranch. I've got one back here and it just, just, that's my evolution. You know, I'm going to check my grouping in the backyard at those targets. But once we get closer to that season, I go through, this is what that deer is going to do. And I, I imagine that when I'm in the stand, when I get up in a stand, I, I kind of go, okay, if he comes from the right, this is what he should do. If he comes from the left, comes in front, if he goes to a feeder, if he goes to a water source, if he's just walking by, I'm, I try to play out all those scenarios in my mind so that I'm kind of, I'm practicing. It's like practicing for a game, hitting range balls if you're a golfer, whatever it may be. And, and then when that moment of truth comes, you've kind of already played that scenario out on where the aiming point should be, where the best places to draw are. And, and I, I think that helps. It does for me. Big time, big time. Do you still have that 3D course out at the ranch set up or? We do. We do. Yeah, we do. Shooting across that pond that y'all have there at that bear. <laughs> that's a pretty fun shot right there. Uh, that's a fun one. Wade, um, you know, opening weekend is happening this weekend for Archery yep. State of Texas. So what are y'all's plans? Um, you know, I think you had said earlier, I think kind of got messed up a little bit because Clark has a big fishing tournament or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead, even though Clark's out on a boat bobbing around trying to fish, be Scott Winlet, his brother, who kind of runs the uh, the hunting operation on their little place up there. And then Michael Worsing, who is uh, Clark's son-in-law that helps us on some projects, and Kevin. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and go up there and shoot deer without Clark. We don't need Clark there. Um, so he can, he can fish all he wants. But, you know, like I said, we, we've opened the season there for so many years 
uh, we just hate to break tradition. You know, you got that old house there. It's like 105 years old on, on the property and good wraparound deal. We'll eat, you know, pancakes and little smokies for breakfast. Angel's already made us a bunch of uh, frozen food to take up there. We have barbecue on the first night and, Sweet. and, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of, it's, it's a tradition and, and hunting traditions are so cool to pass down and, and go enjoy. And, and, um, so that's where I'll be, you know, I'll be driving up North heading, heading through uh, Fredericksburg up to San Saba, uh, and then driving over to their place out on the Colorado river. And that's where I'm going to spend this weekend. Sweet. And that, you know, that's what it's all about. Just keeping those traditions alive. You know, that's part of what the whole brand that we have the weekend outdoorsman just kind of, that's what we base ourselves off is keeping that tradition alive, fueled by a passion for the outdoors and creating new ones. You know, like last year was our first year for my brother and my dad and I to go on an elk hunt this year. We didn't go cause little baby on the way. Didn't want to want to get up there, set up elk camp and then get a phone call saying uh, <laughs> baby's on the way. So we put yeah. hold for this year, but we'll be going hopefully every year after that. But yeah, plenty of time to pass that tradition on to little baby too coming up. There'll be, I know we'll see that one in camo here in the near future and sitting out there in a, in a pop-up line and uh, bouncing on a knee while y'all are hunting. I've already got, I think we've already got two or three camo onesies from the baby showers. People, people, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. So yeah. You got any other big plans this year? Any big hunts? I think last year y'all went to, was it Wyoming? If I'm not mistaken, we did Wyoming, we did Kansas. I, you know, I think I'm probably mostly going to hunt Texas in November and December. I've got some chances for Oklahoma um, coming up in November, but uh, you know, I think we're with all the things that are going on, and I haven't really let it affect me uh, on my decisions. But I think the way that our season's going to going to pan out, I think we'll probably do a lot in Texas in November. Kind of flip a coin late November for do we go hunt some place else and then and then uh you know we'll go from there in december so we've we've got a lot going on in, in and around del rio up there in central texas got a couple things coming up in south texas as well sweet wait i just kind of want to ask one more question i know uh know you're getting busy and everything so with covid that's that's happened this year you know we've seen a lot of changes happen across numerous industries businesses how have you, you know, you seem to have your finger right on the pulse of the industry at, at all times. How, how have you seen this affect the industry and how do you see the industry changing or adapting to what may or may not happen in the future? Well, I think the fishing industry and the hunting industry has actually benefited greatly from, from this. And, you know, we never want to think a disaster causes any thing to be beneficial to any specific group but the reality of it is it's made a lot of us kind of get back to the roots of fishing and hunting yeah um you know i mean there's not as many people going to concerts there's not as many people going to live sporting events and in turn when you go to a boat ramp there there's more people fishing than there ever has been when you talk to manufacturers they're sold out of a lot of those me too items and fishing lures and reels and and the hunting industry is is seeing the same thing um, it's not a good year to be a deer in the woods this year. There's probably going to be more hunters than there's ever been out there. And and I just hope that that kind of passes on. And these people that are, have come back to it or that are getting introduced to it 
uh, they become, you know, full-time participants in it uh, across the board. But I, I think it's, it's kind of re it's shown us that man, that the old traditional things that have always been there will always be there in these tough times. And, and, and as, as a group, this industry has benefited from it. Um, and I think we're going to continue to see that coming up. I think this will be the busiest year for taxidermists and meat processors and hunting manufacturers, just like we saw on the fishing side. I, I definitely agree. I think I was reading an article, you know, not too long ago that had said something about, I think there was a 40 or 50% increase in fishing license sales this year. Yes. Um, yes. Not even just, te- that was just Texas. And I think in some states they had seen upwards of like a 60 and 70% increase in that. And it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. I, th- I think that's, I think it's awesome to see. I know I went, fishing with the buddy back in June and actually caught my PB that day, a nine seventy five, And uh, we saw a ton of people. I mean, it was just, and it was a Sunday. There were a ton of boat ramps, ton. It was insane. And so, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing how many people, yeah. When we usually shoot shows on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at a public ramp, there'll be like 10 people there. There's like 40 or 50 every time we go now, which is awesome to see. Uh, I mean, finding a used boat's tough, you know, anything in the outdoors right now, you go to any retailer, you know, you walk the stores, the aisles of Bass Pro Shops right now. And, and the, it is amazing how much stuff is, is, is gone from the pegs, which is just demand. You know, nobody could have forecasted that. Those buyers could never have forecasted that type of situation. And, and, and but it's exciting if those, you know, if just a half the people that are buying licenses for the first time stick around, it's, that's great for our industry at the end of the day. Big time, big time. Well, Wade, I won't take too much more of your time, but I just wanted to say thanks for hopping on the podcast with us today. And, um, you know, opening weekend's coming up soon and wish you the best of luck. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can get you back on here some other time to maybe talk, you know, absolutely have some industry talks. And then, of course, bass fishing and turkey in the spring. We're going to have to talk about that. So. I think. Absolutely. Hey, we're we're looking forward to seeing your little bouncing trophy that's going to be coming up. I know you're not going to get a deer hunt this weekend, but that little trophy y'all got coming up will be will be more than plenty. Oh yeah, Fam- family's super important, so we're we're pretty excited about that. So it'll be any day now before be a little <laughs> mini Cooper running around here. <laughs> there you go. That'll be good. Appreciate it, Will. Good talk to you. Good talking with you too, Wade. We'll see you soon. And there you have it, folks. Wade brought some pretty good insight when it comes to deer hunting for archery season in Texas. You know, hopefully you'll be able to take a lot of the knowledge that he brought to the table today and apply it to your next hunt or when you're out on your property next, setting up the next stand. If you love what you heard from Wade, be sure to check him out. His Instagram handle is Wade underscore Middleton. And you can also check him out on Facebook, There's a ton of content with Wade all over it on YouTube from Yamaha Whitetail Diaries to Fisherman's Handbook, Fishing and Hunting Texas, Deer Gear TV. There's plenty more out there that Wade has to offer, especially when it comes to bass fishing, 
uh, spring turkey hunting and just tons of tips and tactics for uh, any hunter or fisherman out there. I know we're going to want to be getting him back on the podcast again to talk bass fishing. We're going to talk some spring turkey with him as well because that's one of my favorite things besides elk hunting now. And uh, we're just going to be talking more with him, especially when it comes to the outdoor industry. So be on the lookout as we're going to bring Wade back on again in the future. And if you love what we're doing, be sure to like and subscribe hit that follow button uh check us out on instagram our handle is at the weekend outdoorsman and uh we'll see you next time guys